I recently saw an advertisement. I'm sorry, an advertisement. <laughs> I'll get it right one day. <laughs> Probably in heaven. <laughs> I recently saw an advertisement which said, Tired of tickets? Make your car invisible to police cameras. And my heart leapt with joy. <laughs> now I must tell you, I celebrated, I felt like dancing. And then of course the thought came to me, is it legal? And this is what the advertisement says. It is practically impossible for police to spot plates that have been treated with a reflective spray. <laughs> so the, the makers of this product were ducking the question, in a sense reflecting guilt and saying, it doesn't matter that it's illegal, I can guarantee you won't get caught. And thanks to Brand Bowman for the advertisement. My good friend Brand gave it to me. That seems to capture the modern approach to law and guilt, does it not? Uh, you will not get discovered, so go ahead and break the law. It's okay as long as you don't get nabbed. The trouble is, you still live with the consequences. So representatives without number have glossed their extramarital affairs and thought they were getting away with it. And then suddenly uh, it caught up with them and we've had any number of resignations over that issue, haven't we? And I remind you that they are representatives. They are representative of America. So I must tell you that there are times in my life when I do exactly the same thing. Uh, certainly not in that area of my life, but in other ways like glossing my license plate. Bernie Madoff got off. With his rampant greed for only so long, his house of cards collapsed and he damaged and hurt so many, many other people. And all the while, we live a lie. And all the while, we know that we could get caught out at any time. Here's what a psychologist called Roy Bowmeister from Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland says, on the strength of some research he did, the average person spends approximately two hours a day feeling guilty. And for 30 minutes of that two hours, people feel moderate to severe guilt. I'm not quite sure how he phrased the questions, but it gives us a somewhat objective reference point to begin with this morning. Uh, we are average people, and you know for yourself how much time you spend guilting over things and how much of it is severe. This is not a laughing matter either, like glossing your license plate. Here is the impact as noted by psychological studies done by Georgia Watkins of the stress program in Mount Sinai Medical Center in California. She says, unrelieved guilt can be very stressful 
just an aside, that's probably the understatement of the century. It is that lurching stomach and racing heart you feel. That stress can weaken your immune system. And so there are direct connections between guilt and illness. Not to say that all illness comes from guilt, but there is a connectedness there as well. So this issue of guilt then, as we will see from our psalm, sucks the juice out of our lives makes us behave with this weird strangeness where we're covering stuff up, either to cloak our guilt or to present a different image, and it shapes our responses to people. It makes some people sly and full of guile. It hides our true selves often under a cloak of shame, It's like living in an emotional straitjacket when we don't deal with it. Our laughter becomes empty, our happiness is hollow, and all pleasures are tainted because at any moment I might get caught out. It saps the energy, takes away our purpose. The past is full of ghosts that are still roaming around haunting us. And the future, therefore, is a haunted future that becomes hopeless. In other words, guilt in its extreme form can turn your life into a mere existence. Here is how the psychologists recommend that we deal with this phenomena. I'm not going to go into these, and it will become very evident why. They say, do these five steps, accept your limitations, learn from your mistakes, disable your guilt buttons, banish your ghosts, and count your blessings. Now, undoubtedly, those things will bring relief, and I'm not decrying them, but actually they are merely papering over the cracks of the real issue, are they not? Uh, Guilt is sucking the vitality out of your life and all they can say is try and stop it. They offer symptomatic remedies that leave the actual disease raging and metastasizing throughout your system. It would be like saying to somebody with esophageal cancer, why don't you eat a bottle of Tums every morning and every evening. Well, it will certainly kill the acid, but in the meantime, the cancer is spreading to all the surrounding organs. So the roaches thrive in the crack, and you paper it over, and guess what roaches love? They love the glue in wallpaper. (laughs) I know for a fact. We lived in a place where there were roaches by the thousand and they ate all the glue in the spines of my library. How's that? (laughs) Well, there must be a real solution. And so we're going to turn to the scriptures with relief to find God's answer to this very difficult problem. Just before I read the scriptures, here are three signposts that we'll use to navigate. And you can listen for these things and uh, understand the psalm is talking completely and wholly about this issue. And the first one will be the horror of guilt. 
The second will be the remedy for guilt. And the third one will be deliverance from guilt. Uh, You've got Psalm 32 from the message in your uh, bulletin. I'm going to read it from the New King James Version and end with a message at the end. So you can, oh, it's been changed. Thank you. But in your bulletin, it's the other, other translation. Here we go. Hear the word of the Lord, which makes wise the simple. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Salah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you... You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Salah. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Salah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bits and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Oh, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. May God bless to us and to our lives the marvels of his revelation in his word. So let's have a look at the horror of guilt. I've already touched on it a little bit, but the effect on the individual, says the psalmist, is that my bones grow old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I've only really recently come to appreciate the allusion to bones growing old. Now stop it. I'm not that old. I have increasing stiffness in my hips through arthritis and can no longer walk as once I used to. And it affects everything in life. 
And throughout the day then, there are times when I groan because of it. And I cannot do what I want to do. My vitality is affected. What a phenomenal phrase that is. My vitality turned into the drought of summer. And what a graphic explanation of guilt. For it cripples in those exact precise ways. It is a horror that stems from a glorious fact. This issue of guilt. You see we are made in the image of God. We are destined for fellowship with him. That is a blessing beyond computation. It informs us that we are not mere clay. We are not somehow concocted over millennia in the slime of the world by some accident of fate. But this also has this dark side to it. That the stamp of divinity means when we offend, we offend the holy majesty of God. And so the psalmist says, your hand is heavy upon me. Your guilt is nothing other than God's hand heavy upon you. And we are offending not only other people. That we sin against. Not just breaking the law of the land when we do that. We are offending the very majesty of God himself. And that would be the most serious consequence of all. That the horror of it is that it impacts my relationship with God. And so the psalmist strengthens the idea by talking about the iniquity of my sin. There's an element of iniquity to it. It's not just sin. It is iniquity. And here we are caught with this common idea that we are safe as long as we are not caught. We're not just crippling our own lives. We are also crippling our families. You think of our dysfunctional families become when guilt is not confessed and dealt with and the sin continues to dysfunctionalize the family. Think of what it does to our society when something like the moral code of honesty is victim to political expediency, whether that be in the Congress or in our local community or in our homes, for our own political expediency, we are living a lie. Then the machinery that is essential to society, which should be lubricated by honesty and generosity, begins to break down. And there's so many examples of that, are there not? And then we are on the verge of not only going into a murky fog, but actually descending into utter darkness. All because of the value of narcissistic arrogance. Because that's what lies at the heart of all of our sins. And of our guilt. 
And worst of all, the spiritual machinery is broken and God is offended and turns away. And as Paul says in the book of Romans, he's willing to withdraw and leave us to the things we really want. If you really want to be arrogant, he says, go for it. And he will let you work that out to your own doom and the destruction of those around you. And therefore it registers as iniquity. The Bible does not leave us there. It gives us an actual remedy, not to paper over the cracks, but really to deal with the issue. And this is the ABC remedy for guilt. The first one is acknowledge. Acknowledge God's hand on you. Acknowledge your sin. Don't let there be any deceit in your spirit, but open your heart up to God completely. For it is day and night God's hand heavy upon you that turns your bones into dust and causes you to groan. Acknowledge your transgressions. In verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And the B in the ABC of dealing with sin and guilt is the B of blame. Blame no one but yourself. Notice the personal pronouns in this. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I have sat in an office or talked with people in where, wherever we happen to be meeting and the conversation has been concerning the trouble in some marriage or other. And invariably to begin with, the conversation will go, I am not perfect, but you should see my spouse. And then there begins a catalog of stuff where the person is confessing the sins of another person. This says, confess your own sins. This says it is your iniquity that needs to be confessed to the Lord. And you must notice this, that there is no need to rationalize your confession. There's no need to say, yes, I've been a nasty old bugger, but, you know, my wife is such a nag. You know what they taught us in seminary in our counseling classes? Ignore everything before the but. So I've been a nasty old character, but... My wife is a persistent nag. Well, you see, it's a great time saver because while a person is talking in your, your office, you can doodle little daisy chains and draw faces with frowns or smiles on them, and you're just waiting for the but. And then they say, but. Then you look up and start paying attention. 
because you can ignore everything else. The real issue is that they are blaming somebody else for their own trouble. So the old slave spiritual song said, It's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not your parents, your society, your circumstances, your upbringing, your genes. You have done that thing. And as long as you blame something or someone or some circumstance, you remain a victim and nothing can be done for you but to pat you on the back and say, there, there, your bones are going to groan all day long and the vitality is going to be sapped out of your life. You have ducked the issue. So they may be factors, but if you play the victim, you create a destiny and you craft a character for yourself, which is I avoid the issue and I blame someone else and I'm a whining victim. So you acknowledge. Then the third C of the remedy the ABC of the remedy for guilt is you confess. Then I confess to the Lord, says the psalmist. You confess. You confess first of all to God himself. You say, God, here I am. I've been playing the fool with my heart and with you. And I'm tired of it. And now I open my entire life. And will you rummage through there and separate all the junk and make me aware of all the garbage and I will own up that it is my junk and my garbage. And the relief will be immediate as we will see in a minute. And then you confess to those you have wronged. As long as you're not going to hurt them, there's some confessions which might hurt people, so those you keep between you and God. But you will have to win the trust of those you have harmed and wronged. Because this is what I found happens. Somebody says, I'm sorry, but they say it in a way that means... Let's just move on. You know, we don't have to deal with this issue. I'm sorry, will you forgive and forget? And now let's just look to the future. Well, you've wounded somebody. They've got bleeding open wounds. And you want to just say, there you go on bleeding and I'm going to move on and we can just forget that this happened. Well, that's not true. That does not happen, does it? And the thing that communicates more than your words is the attitude of your heart. So if you say, I'm sorry, and you're still an arrogant jerk who just wants to manipulate the situation, and say it really wasn't that serious, just get over it. Well, you're an arrogant jerk. And that too must be confessed because that is part of the wounding of the person in the relationship. And therefore, real confession involves repentance and restitution. 
It means that I have to go into the situation of the wounding and say, what was my responsibility? How did I do that? Why did I do that? I am prepared to change. How do I repair the damage? What can I do to avoid inflicting this pain again? And of course, that, that's the hard part of the remedy, is it not? But it's also the glorious part, because at the end of that process, you come out as a different person. You've dealt with your jerkdom. You're no longer a piece of jerky. <laughs> you no longer have your vitality sapped out of you, but you're on a new level and a new plane with God. You're on a new level and a new plane with the person you have wounded. There's a newness that comes about. The winter is gone and the spring has come. And so real confession asks those questions. How do I repair the damage? How do I act to avoid inflicting further pain? It says, I am mortified. It's killing me that I hurt you. How do I make this right? And of course, if you've been saying, I'm sorry as a jerk for five years, you must not think that immediately the person that you've been saying it to will say, oh, honey, that's so wonderful. Yes, let's move on. You're going to have to build trust. You're going to have to demonstrate that there's been a change. You're going to have to show that you have made the changes that are essential. And confession then wrestles with these questions. And ultimately, something very wonderful comes out of it. And this is our third milepost. We have deliverance from guilt. And oh, the psalm uses three spectacular words about the deliverance. So if you've been weighing stuff up and saying, you know, I'm not sure that I can really humble myself in that way. Well, weigh it up. Go on having your vitality sapped and living the lie. Or here comes this marvelous solution. You are first of all forgiven. The Lord forgave my sins. And in John 1.29, John the Baptist says to his followers, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That word take away means to pick it up. And carry it along and throw it away. Forgiven. He picks up all of that garbage that has been messing your life up. And messing up your relationships. And making you live the lie. And he carries it off and he casts it. Throws it away. The second great word is that he, my sins are covered, says the psalmist. Covered as in buried. You see, he can throw it away, but there it is for everybody to see. There it is, still saying, yeah, I've made a mess of things. And so in his grace he says, I'm going to bury it. 
I'm going to put it out of sight. And you know what our problem is? We often go digging up corpses in that cemetery. (laughs) And so you will have people who have confessed and had forgiveness, and they go rumbling around there again saying, Oh my, I made such a screw up of stuff. That too is a lack of faith that needs to be confessed. That is the jerk looking for attention. That is in a sense blaming, saying that is still got influence over me when you've dealt with it. God buried them himself. Now let it be. And the third great word that he uses is the word imputed. This is a word from the world of accounting And it means your liabilities on the balance sheet of your life are imputed onto the balance sheet of Jesus. Maybe a modern word would be uploaded. Is that the right word? Gee, I'm somewhere after all in this whole thing. And this, my friends, is the climax to these glorious truths Each one shines with a new radiance in the light of the others. So I am forgiven and it's all carried away. They've been buried and now something even more astonishing happens. They are imputed, not to me anymore. When I look in my bank account, they're no longer there. And when I draw up that balance sheet and expect to see this meager page of assets and page after page after page of a liabilities, they're not there in that, that's that way. Where could they have gone? And God hands you the ledger of Jesus and you open it up. And with awe you see that all of your liabilities now appear On his balance sheet. They're gone. They're all in his account. No wonder then that the psalm starts with the word blessed. Blessed is this man. Then in the second verse repeats it again. Blessed is the one. And here's what the blessing is. That God is to be found in this flood of guilt. These great waters, this flood is you being flooded with all the nonsense of your life. Well, he says, if you follow this process, then these shall not come near you because they've been dealt with so effectively. And you, God, are my hiding place. You preserve me from the trouble of my guilt and of my sin because I'm in the process of growing and working and becoming a new person. And you surround me with songs of deliverance. And the word salah means stop and think about that. Meditate on it and digest it. It's what the worship team do when they stop singing and play and we sometimes just stand there idly saying that's nice music we should be reflecting on what we sang and continuing our worship aided by the band that's been so magnificent and so the bible says blessed is this man it's actually a plural word in the original it's the word blessed nesses 
It's more than just a single blessing. It's a flood of blessing. It's the overflow of blessing. It's deliverance from bone anguish. Mending of relationships with God and other people. There's nothing, no choir that is adequate to express our praise. And joy flows like a river. And the cleansing ocean crashes and thunders on the beach of your very own life. But you may say, I'm scared of the future. And so he reassures us of that as well. I will instruct you in these ways, he says, and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. This is the pathway of life. I'm not going to abandon you. How shall I repay the Lord? Well, be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, every person in this room needs confession. It's built into part of our worship. You will often hear it in the pastoral prayer. You will hear the preacher confessing that he needs God's cleansing. It's part of who we are. And therefore, everybody here this morning, you need to just open your heart up and say, Please, Jesus, here I am. I don't want to have my vitality suck dry anymore. For some of you, maybe it will be the very first time. Oh, my goodness. What a blessing you have in store for yourself as you just say, God, here I am. I've got no excuses. I've got nobody to blame. This is me. And he says, I love you. That's just so wonderful to hear that. So let's pray together. And I'll give you just a moment, a minute to Open your own heart to God, and then I'm going to read as part of our prayer, Psalm 32, in the message, just to drive home in a modern translation, the marvels of this psalm. Let us pray together. Count yourself lucky. How happy you must be. You got a fresh start. Your slate's wiped clean. Count yourself lucky. God holds nothing against you. And you're holding nothing back from him. When I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. Ah, then I let it all out. I said, I'll make a clean breast of my failures to God. And suddenly the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved. My sin disappeared. These things add up. Every one of us needs to pray. When all hell breaks loose and the dam bursts, we'll be on high ground. Untouched, God's my island hideaway, keeps danger far from the shore, throws garlands of hosannas around my neck. Let me give you some good advice. I'm looking you in the eye and giving it to you straight. 
Don't be ornery like a horse or a mule that needs bit and bridle to stay on track. God defiers are always in trouble. God affirmers find themselves loved every time they turn around. So celebrate God. Sing together, everyone. All you honest hearts, raise the roof.